And welcome to our message this week. This is a, a week removed from Easter. We've been celebrating all week. And, and this is the first part of a two-part sermon about not being a Nimrod. Um, so I hope that it will help you out and guide you down a path. Again, this is only half of a full sermon. Unfortunately, wasn't able to fit the whole sermon in to one church uh, meeting. But, you know, that's the beauty of the Word of God is that there's so many things we can talk about and so beautiful. So let's get to the sermon today. So how many of you know the name Nimrod? Nimrod. We call people that. The Dictionary of American Slang lists a, a Nimrod as a simpleton, a nerd. Um, maybe an example would be Johnny is a total Nimrod. He does such dumb things. Or what stupid Nimrod left the lid off of the cottage cheese? You know, and, and it's jokes like that, statements like that, that we've become familiar with the term Nimrod. Unfortunately, uh, maybe we've gotten too familiar with the term Nimrod. Uh, but we've become so familiar that we don't think about it. But do you know where it came from? Well, I think we would be wise to avoid being a Nimrod, right? Don't be a Nimrod. That's, I think, great advice for us today. But who or where did this come from? Well, we get into Genesis 10 and 11. And the first verse of Genesis 10 says, These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. So uh, what you recognize here is that they had children after the flood. And all of the people of the world descend from the three sons of Noah. You have Shem. His descendants became the Hebrews and the Syrians. And we can uh, go through the text here to see that. You also have Japheth's or Ham's descendants that are now the North African and the Far East descendants. And then you have Japheth's descendants, which is the Indo-European people. The Bible doesn't always present itself in chronological order. It often gives the broad picture, then goes back and fills in the details. And chapter 10 gives us a broad picture of Shem, Ham, and Japheth descendants being scattered. Chapter 11 then gives us the details of why they were scattered. Now, I want to focus on one verse before I go too far. And that is simply this. What does it mean to be a Nimrod? Well, being a Nimrod, it, it means to be in rebellion against God. Now, why would it mean that? Well, verse 8 in chapter 10 Chapter 10, verse 8 says, Cush fathered Nimrod. Now, Cush is the son of Ham. And it says, Cush fathered Nimrod, who began to be powerful in the land. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon, Eric, Akkad, and Kalneh. In the land of Shinar. Now, Nimrod comes from the verb Marad, meaning to rebel. His name means let us rebel. Let us rebel against 
whatever. So Nimrod was mentioned as a mighty hunter and history shows that he gained fame by subduing the horse and using the leopard to hunt wild beasts. Now, tame leopards are used even today in India for hunting wild game. The term Nimrod is formed by two words here. Nim, which means a leopard, or Rada, which means to subdue. Now, as we look at this, one commentary says Nimrod was mighty in hunting and that and that in opposition to Jehovah, not before Jehovah in the sense according to the purpose and will of Jehovah, but more like, you know, as we look through some of the text here, um, it's, it's more of the revolt that we see uh, maybe in some of the texts. If we were to look in Jonah or, you know, Jonah 3.3, 3, where we see um, some texts that, that could maybe give us some insight. It's, it's more along these lines than it would be uh, in Acts, and I'll read that one as well. But in Jonah 3.3, 3, it says that Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Now, what we're talking about here is um, it was a, a great city to God, but it wasn't a great city it was a large city that was against god and we see that they were in rebellion and and jonah this time gets up and goes with god um not he 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 doesn't go before god he's he's not a great hunter in god's eyes because he's following god is kind of the same idea that we would have here now in acts chapter seven verse 20 we see something that we could look at there as well and as we look at that verse this would be the opposite of that saying at the time that moses was born he was beautiful in god's sight in other words he was truly beautiful in god's sight so this is the difference in the two statements that are being made there but it's it's you know, Acts chapter 7 is a superlative statement, whereas um, it seems like the statement about Nimrod here is more akin to what Nineveh was in being against God, but great it being against God. Um, but the last explanation, you know, is not allowed by the usage of the language. The second irreconcilable with the context, the name itself, Nimrod meaning we will revolt, points to some violent resistance to God. Nimrod lives in rebellion. Now, in Numbers 14, 8, and 9, Joshua warns Israel, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So Joshua reminding the people, do not fear those that are against the Lord. Don't rebel against God either. And and, and another reminder in 1 Samuel, Samuel, I mean, rebellion is, is always 
considered in some ways satanic. So in 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 First Samuel fifteen, verses twenty two and twenty three, it says, "So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry." Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. This statement in very powerful ways speaks to us as to what rebellion is, as to what rejection is. Rebellion is putting in anything or anybody in the place of God. It is idolatry. It is it is wrong. It is satanic because we are not following the way of God. If, if I were to go to Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, it says, Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. So when we look at these scriptures and we continue to go through these scriptures, I want you to see what's being said. Rebellion is refusing to follow God's spirit. Isaiah 63, 10, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy and he fought against them. Rebellion is from our sinful nature. It is from the fall. It's from sin. It is the nature of man to rebel. Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is in is enmity with God against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Basically, truth is that rebellion only hurts the rebel. It only hurts the one who is in rebellion. Understand this today when we speak about this rebellion only hurts the one rebelling because God will turn against them. God will turn as an enemy to them. And they are not following the way that God is leading them to go. So as we look at this, I, I think about when you go out on a lake or you, you see a body of water with buoys that are there. I, I heard a story one time of a, a place where they were having trouble with the buoys being damaged. And roughly 600 buoys were in this um, waterway and not one expected to last through a season. And when the the council that was over that was approached and they were asked and said, well, you know, what are you going to do about this? How can this is expensive? How can we do this? And the reply was, is that the boaters who are damaging the buoys are only hurting themselves. Because they're there for safety. The, the statement was the buoys are there to provide safety and direction for the boaters. Some mark no wake zones where power boaters must go at slower speeds. They delineate shower, shallow areas where boating could be dangerous. And they show the ways to the mouths of channels. And, and us rebelling against God is that way. It's that we're rebelling against the thing that is there for our safety. And it always brings pain and suffering to the one who is rebelling. Now, that's being an Nimrod <laughs> to be in rebellion, 
in in a rebellious nature. That was his name. He was named Let Us Rebel. We will revolt. What whatever you want to look at there. But also to be a Nimrod is to rely upon our own strength and our own might. It says he was a mighty hunter. Now the word for hunt is Said, which is used on occasion for hunting men. First uh, Samuel twenty four, Jeremiah sixteen, Lamentations three. And we've seen mighty men before and where that power led them. Genesis 6, 4, there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Or 1 Samuel 2, 9, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength, no man shall prevail. And then Psalm 33, 16 and 17, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. And we could go on and on and on. I mean, I could continue and, and you know, this isn't, I, I don't have a lot of words to add to God's word for this today, but it's something for us to see. Psalm 147 10 and 11 he does not delight in the strength of the horse he takes no pleasure in the legs of a man the lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his mercy or habakkuk 1 10 and 11 they make fun of rulers and laugh at fortresses while building dirt mounds so they can capture cities then suddenly they disappear like a gust of wind whose sinful people those sinful people who worship their own strength and then it's said of Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, starting in verse 15, it says, And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide. For he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Look, only a Nimrod can be dependent upon his own strength. It's starting to hit a little bit closer to home now, right? We as a country have depended upon our strength for years, right? And and we're starting to see some of that fade and, and it's it's the attitude of Nimrod. And and we see these things. Jeremiah nine twenty three says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Strong people trust in themselves. But those that the strong or the world deems weak, they draw upon God's strength through prayer and surrender. And, you know, when we think about that, we find ourselves we we think when we think about getting things done on our own we we lose sight of who's truly in control 
and 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 we only think that things are getting done in our own power if we are a Nimrod. Nimrod thirdly reigns over his own little kingdom. Verse 10 in uh, Genesis 10 there says that in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that, the land, from that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, or Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. And that is the principal city. Now, let's just look at these for a moment. Babel, we know who Babel is. We know who the Babylonians are. Babel was the beginning of his kingdom. He, Babel was first. That's the first one listed here. The name was derived from the Assyrian word Babalu, meaning gate of God. After the Tower of Babel incident, the Hebrews called it Bilal, meaning to confound. But Babel was called Babylon by the Greeks and the Romans. The city reached its height of glory during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar II. He built the hanging gardens for the queen who was homesick for her homeland. Fifty miles of double walls were built around the city with the inner walls a width of 21 feet and the outer walls 11 feet wide. They were built this wide so that chariots could transport soldiers quickly to weak points of defense while under attack. In other words, built wide enough to be able to hold traffic. I mean, I guess the best example I could give would be like the Great Wall of China and how wide that is and you see that it would allow for easy access to certain points in difficult times. The walls reached a height of 300 feet and were reinforced by 420 foot towers every 60 feet along the wall. The waters of the Euphrates were diverted to form a moat around the walls of the city. The city was divided into rectangles with roads and gates named after Babylonian gods. The homes were whitewashed to cover the gray clay. The look that was there, the Babylonians painted their door frames red because red was regarded as a color which frightened and kept away the devils and barred the doorways of all evil influence. Red was formed from this um, iron oxide paint type thing. Babel was once a city. It was the capital of Assyria. We can see these, these things in Scripture, Second Chronicles 33, 11. The Jews were carried captive to Babylon. They were sent to the home of idolatry to cure them of idolatry. The Jews were reminded that confusion is the spiritual result of idolatry. They were put into captivity in the place of this so that they could see it firsthand. And then Nabonidus along with his son Belshazzar, were the last kings to rule Babylon. The city fell on October the 13th, 539 B.C., to Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. Babylon had become weakened by heavy taxes, which caused the people to rebel. The Babylonian empire was represented by the head of gold in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. So you see how all these things tie together. And then you have Eric. Eric was located about 50 miles from the traditional site of the Garden of Eden. It was the chief city of Ishtar worship where prostitution was mandatory. One of the first uh, ziggurats was discovered here at the mounds of Warka, and it means length. Eric means length. It's E-R-E-C-H. Then you have Akkad, or 
which was located about 100 miles northwest of Noah's traditional home in Farah. It was the capital of Sargon's empire. Sargon was a famous warrior contemporary with uh, Cheops, the great builder of the pyramid. And then you have Asher. Asher conquered Babylonia in 1300 BC. It was the leading power in the east for about 700 years. The chief deity of the Assyrian region was Asher, the god of the city of Asher. And Assyrians worshipped gods of nature. Anu was the god, the chief god of heaven. Bel was the god of the region inhabited by man, beast, and birds. And the word Asher means step. Then you have Nineveh. Nineveh we know. But at one time, Nineveh was also the capital of the Assyrian Empire, 2 Kings 19.36. It's east of the Tigris River, which is in modern-day Iraq. And the city at one time was surrounded by zoos and exotic gardens. And then Jonah preached to this city and warned of the destruction to come. Nahum prophesied the fall of the city of Nineveh. And then you get the characteristics of, and, and I share all of these to let you know these are the descendants. This is what Nimrod and his kingdom has led to. And again, that's part one of a two-part sermon on Nimrod. And next week we'll talk about the characteristics of the kingdom of Nimrod. And we'll talk about the different things that are going on there. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just truly a blessing to have things like this to look at because it can tell us what looking what it looks like to be in opposition with God let's pray to close out this week's sermon father God we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to serve you but Lord I thank you that you have left us with the examples of those who didn't serve well but Lord we see the stories and we have the examples to go on and Lord, you've shown us what they've done wrong. And Lord, I pray that you would just guide us today, that you would lead us down the paths that you would have us to go, that our hearts would be turned towards you. And Lord, we would be changed by the spirit that you've given us, that you've put within us. So Lord, go with us, lead us, and protect us this week. If there be any that need touch from you, Lord, we pray that you would just touch them in a mighty way. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our services here on the Newland Christian Church Daily Devotional Podcast. This is our weekend service. You're welcome to join us. We have Sunday school at 10 a.m., service at 11 on Sunday mornings. Sunday evenings we meet at 6 p.m. And on Wednesday evenings we meet at 6 p.m. Every service is also streamed live on our Facebook page. You can get more information about Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. Hope you have a blessed day in the Lord.